I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 14 as we continue on in our series on the parables. Now, Mark Owens is going to come up and he's going to read for us out of Matthew chapter 22. Uh, And uh, I want to encourage you to stand up out of respect for God's Word. And as we read, and as Mark reads for us out of God's Word this morning, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to think of this question as we're reading this text. It's simply this. Are you walking in the righteousness that God has given to you through Jesus? Are you walking in the righteousness that God has given to you through Jesus? And, and here's the kind of a secondary question, does that even matter for us? So think about those questions as Mark reads for us out of God's word this morning. Mark, pass it off to you. Good morning, friends. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find." And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is God's word. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Church, please be seated and join me in prayer. Father, we we are privileged to be able to come into this space this morning to gather together as brothers and sisters uh, as, as people who are seeking after you, who want to hear from your word. And I, I pray this morning that as we come to your word, that you would have and help our ears to be open to your word, not, not to my word or to um, anybody else's word, but to yours, what you would have for us this morning. And as we've already talked about in this particular series and in, in, in the parables, that as we come to these things, we need to come to you and ask you to open our eyes and open our ears and help us to understand what it is that you would have for us And I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be so that we would have more knowledge walking out of this space, but that, Father, that we would walk out of this space more conformed into your likeness, that we would walk out of this space more challenged and more zealous for who you are to to see your fruits borne out in our lives. And so, Lord, I, I just pray this morning that you would do that work. That is a work your spirit has to do in us. And so I just ask uh, that you would do that this morning for each person here. And I know each person here has got different things that they bring into this space, but Lord, you are able to work in each of us. And so we pray and ask that you would do that. And we pray these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. 
Amen. All right. So coming to this parable, there's several different sections in this parable. And as we, before we jump into the specifics of, of, of what this means for us today in 2022, I, I, I need to help us kind of understand um, where some of these things are coming from and some of the things that Jesus is talking about that would have made a lot more sense to the people in the first century as they were listening to this. So, so I'm going to give a little bit of a 30,000-foot view, um, kind of looking back at the people of Israel. And for some of you, you may say, well, I kind of already know that. And, and so I just want to encourage you to just kind of bear with me because these are super important pieces for us to understand what Jesus is saying. Some of you may not know about Israel. You may not know about Israel's history and all the things that have gone before this moment in time when Jesus is speaking. And for you, I would just encourage you to say, like, what I'm about to share is the tip of the iceberg. And there is so much more that you could dig into and understand that God has given to us in the Old Testament. But the people of Israel they, they were at one point in history not a nation. They were not a people of Israel. God took out of the nations, out of all the nations, a man named Abraham and created for himself, out of this man Abraham, a people. It's very specific people that he intended to set apart as unique from all of the other nations. So all of the other peoples and all the other nations. And the intent was to have them be a people who functioned underneath the reign of God, that they would follow after him, that they would be a people who would act righteously among the nations to accomplish all that God had, had called them to accomplish, to, to be a light for them so that people could see God and see him working through them. And so God gave the people of Israel the law and he gave them access to his presence through the temple or the tabernacle of the Old Testament and ultimately, he even helped them put their faith in him as he gave them a sacrificial system to deal with their failures. When they didn't walk in his way, when they didn't walk in accordance with his rule and with his, his law. And, and, and when they failed to love him with all their heart, their soul, and their mind. In this, of course, was the promise of blessing. God said, if you do this, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land where you can live in freedom and in peace. And the goal of this work for God in the people of Israel was that they would be a light to all the other nations, that they would bear fruit to all the other nations, and all the other nations would see God in them. perfect example of this working itself out well is in the story of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Some of you may know that story, but Solomon was a good king early on in his his reign, he really followed after the Lord. And the Lord blessed Solomon tremendously. And it, it, it made its way, and the rumors of this made its way, all the way to Ethiopia, where the Queen of Sheba said, man, like I got to go see this God. I got to go see what's going on in this space. And so she travels all the way up to Jerusalem to see Solomon and to see all of the splendors of and the work that God was doing. And so in that, God was helping the people of Israel see that this is what I wanted for you that you would be a light and that all the nations would be able to see me through you. And what's fascinating about that event is it seems likely that as she went back to Ethiopia, she carried with her some of the fear of a God that she had met for the first time. And many believe that the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts is part of that lineage, part of that history. As he was coming to Jerusalem as a God-fearer, not fully understanding everything, but wanting to know more, that that's, that's where this ultimately was rooted in. And so this was God's intent for the people of Israel. Now, you may or may not know, but Israel failed to walk in this way. They failed to love God 
with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind. They failed to bear that kind of fruit. Instead of loving him, they loved the nations around them. And they loved the things that the nations around them brought to them. And they loved the gods of the nations around them. And so they were not the light and did not bear the fruit that God intended. And part of that was because of the nature that was inside of them of sin. And so they couldn't obey God's law. And they couldn't walk in his ways. And so God had promised in the midst of their failure that he would send a Messiah and that this Messiah, this Christ, would restore them and take away their transgressions. And for the people of Israel, this was oftentimes communicated in the idea of being clothed, clothed in a righteousness that was not their own. So, for example, look at Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. It says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So the idea of being given a garment as a representation of righteousness was a very familiar idea to the people of Israel. It was in the book of Isaiah and Hosea and and Jeremiah, and it's throughout the Old Testament. It's this basic idea that they recognized that they needed to be clothed, or at least they should have recognized that they needed to be clothed in the righteousness of God. And so when the first century Jews, they're hearing this story being told by Jesus, they would have known in their history this idea, this concept of being clothed and being, and being covered in a wedding garment. And for them, they would have seen that as the idea of righteousness. So, so Jesus tells the people listening in his day that the reign and the presence of God, remember, I defined the kingdom of God last week, that the kingdom of God is the reign and the presence of God, that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is like a king. And this king is giving a wedding feast, and he sends out his servants to those people to invite them into the wedding feast. Now, this is a representation of the people of Israel. That as the Messiah comes, and as he prepares, he's preparing a wedding feast, and he's going out to those people, and he's inviting them to come in. And he invites them to come in, and they don't hear him, and they don't come. And so the second time, after the meal is all ready, he invites them out again. And the text tells us that these people which represent the people of Israel of that day, they paid no attention to the servants of the king. They paid no attention. They went about their business. They went about their day. They went about working in the farm, working in their homes and going about their jobs and going about their business. They didn't want to come in. It says even more sadly that they killed the servants. This is exactly what Israel was doing. Israel, when God would send them prophets and messengers saying, hey, the kingdom is coming, the Messiah is coming, here's what you need to look for, here's what you need to do. Instead of listening, they killed. And so Jesus moves the story along. Before we hear and see what he does next in this story, I just want you to pause for a minute, and I want you to imagine what's happening in this text. Imagine being invited by someone of immense wealth and immense power, being invited into their home. 
Just imagine what that would be like, that, that we as just kind of normal, everyday paupers and peasants of the world are invited into the most powerful home in our country, even in the world. Can you imagine being and getting that kind of an invitation to come into the presence of somebody that powerful, that mighty, and that good, and us just saying, oh, you know what, um, I'm busy. I, I got to go to work today. Uh, that's more important than coming into your home. You know what? I, I got to binge watch the, the new Stranger Things season that just came out on Netflix, right? So that's more important than coming into your presence. Can you imagine actually doing that? Like, that should shock us to be invited into the home and into the presence of the king and say, you know what? Uh, I'm busy. I'm busy with my farm. I'm busy with my business. I'm busy with whatever it is that I'm doing. And this is crazy. And then to even go further than that, they didn't just say that they were busy. They killed the servants that were going to invite them. So Jesus continues his story. And as a result of their unrepentant sin and as a result of what these people are doing, the king turns his attention we now have a part of the story that represents something that Jesus had talked about earlier in the book of Matthew. In chapter 21, verse 43, he says this, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, and it will be given to a people producing its fruits. So you see what's happening? There's a transition happening here in, in the lives of the people of Israel. He's saying, because you refuse to come in and because you refuse to bear fruits and because you refuse to do the things I've called you to do, I'm going to take away the kingdom from you. And it doesn't mean that Jews can't come to faith in Jesus. They can. But he's saying that now I'm going to give it to those that would bear fruit. And so the invitation is now being extended beyond Israel to invite as many as you find. The assumption is that all those out there who are seen as good and as bad, any who hears the invitation and responds are not only welcomed, but they are given a wedding garment. They are given righteousness so that they could enter in to the king's home. They could enter in to the king's palace. Scripture tells us this is provided by Christ. Like We can look back and see that what Jesus was doing was he was starting to tell them about how to gain this. And now we see that that righteousness comes through Jesus and the work of his death and life and resurrection. But he also tells us that if we place our faith in him, as we are baptized into following him, we are clothed with Christ. Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism doesn't save us, but it signifies a spiritual reality. We will be able to sit in the presence of the king. We will be able to sit at the feast with him because we have been clothed with righteousness. We have been given a wedding garment, a wedding garment that represents the righteousness that we are given by Jesus. And walking in that wedding garment represents the fruits of that righteousness. And the story continues. And it takes a turn because the king enters in and he sees a man that's there that's got into his home who is not clothed. Now we have to assume that this man was offered these clothes at the doors to enter in, that he was offered the righteousness to come into the king's palace, but he's not walking in them. 
We don't know why he's not walking in them. We don't know why he chose not to put them on. We don't know why he's not wearing what was provided. But the king asks him, how did you get in here? And he's speechless. And sadly, and really what should be terrifying to us, is he is bound hands and feet and he is cast out into the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is the parable. Now we look at this and we ask the question, what in the world does this mean for us? What is the warning for you and for me and for us as the people of God that sit in this room in 2022? First, I want to look at the people of Israel because we learn something first from them as this, in their section of this parable. We learn first and foremost that fruit without righteousness is rotten. Jesus is illustrating this reality that many people, two things. One, they simply don't care about coming to the king. They certainly don't see the need to be clothed in any kind of righteousness because in their minds, they're good. That's what's happening for the people that are being invited to come into the wedding garment or wedding, into the wedding feast. They're like, you know what? I'm good. I know he's up there. I know where the king is, but I'm fine where I'm at right now. I'm good enough. I'm happy. I'm content. Life is fine. I don't need any righteousness that's not my own. I'm content in my own righteousness. And so I don't need to come into the king's presence. Listen, we see this all over the place, don't we? Just ask somebody on the street if they care about God's presence. Just ask someone on the street if they care what God thinks of them or if they really care about an invitation into his presence or into his a relational connection with him. Most people would say, well, that's not the most important thing in my life. That's not really what drives me when I wake up in the morning. One of the questions for us is, do we care? Do you care about being in the presence of the Lord? Do you care about the invitation that he's given to us? Ask someone on the street, why do you think that you should not get thrown into hell? What's their response going to be? Nine times out of ten. Well, I think it's because I'm a pretty good person. I've done enough good stuff. Like, yeah, I've failed in a few areas, but I'm really nice. And, and, I, and I give my money to um, you know, some goodwill or whatever it is. Like, I, I do some good things. And so I, surely God would be kind to me and God would let me into his presence. Listen, we need to be reminded, and what Jesus is partially illustrating here is that Scripture tells us it doesn't make a difference how good you think your fruit is. It is worthless. Our good works are filthy in his eyes. And that's exactly what the Word of God says. That's not me saying it. That's what he says. It was worthless because it isn't coming out of righteousness in and of itself. A righteousness that we get from God. Our works are self-generated, and they're tainted. I don't know if you've ever bit into an apple that looked really good on the outside, where you're like, oh man, this thing's going to be amazing, and you bite into it, and it tastes bitter or gross, or it's rotten on the inside, or it's got worms or something on the inside of it. That's your good works before Jesus. That's my good works before Jesus. We may think they look great, but at the end of the day, they're filthy in front of him. you're listening this morning, know that you can never earn the favor of the king. We aren't capable of it. We're not capable of producing the right fruit to gain access to him. 
You can come to church, you can read your Bible, you can try to be nice, you can try to be good, but if your trust is in those things, you have no hope. If you were content outside of the presence of God, presence of God, if you're content to just go about your business and pay no attention to the things that God would call for us, you have no hope in and of yourself. If you're listening, you don't even want to come into the king's palace. You don't even want to find joy in him. You don't have any desire to get to know him or to be consumed by him. You just want to go about your way. You should be very weary. Don't be like the ones, the people of Israel, who were invited to come in, but they just go about their lives content with what they're doing. Going about their business, thinking everything is going to be fine. Don't be so content trusting in your own righteousness. It's filthy to him. This is a serious offense to him, and he will deal with those people. So again, I asked the question that we started with, are you walking in the righteousness of Christ? Are you walking in the righteousness that God has given to you through Christ, and does that matter? I think it does matter. Jesus moves on to illustrate something else. He illustrates that righteousness given leads to fruit. In my imagination, as the guests came into the palace, they're handed a wedding garment, a righteousness, and they're ushered in. As a Christian, I think we get tempted at this moment to kind of check out because we can think, oh, I've already done this. I've already gained the righteousness of Christ. I've already accepted Jesus. I've already said the, the mantra. I've said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the living God, and my personal Lord and Savior. And so I already have salvations. I, I did that years ago, and this is a salvation message. And so, you know what? I, I don't need to listen anymore. And so I'm just going to get on my phone and start looking at what the news is or what sports going on. Listen, I, I want to encourage you. That is not the case of what Jesus is telling us. Even if you think you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, this message is for you. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is for all of us. See, this one guy, he takes the righteousness of God into his hands. And instead of putting it on and walking in it, he chooses to just be happy to be in the palace. He's thinking, man, I'm I'm in. This is awesome. Like, where's the feast? Where's the lamb? Like, take me to there. Like, that's what mattered to him. He got into the point of salvation. Like, that's what he cared about. He's in the palace. Let me just ask the question, is that real salvation for us? Is it real salvation if all we care about is just being saved from hell? If that's the primary goal we have, is that real salvation? Can that even happen? Can someone, in essence, Take on the righteousness of Jesus, recognize the gift, recognize the graciousness, recognize the mercy of what he has done and what has happened, and then not walk in that righteousness? Walk in a way that honors that gift? Can any take that gift and then just throw it to the side and not put it on? Sadly, I think that a lot of people do just that. They, in essence, live life in apathy and in laziness. They live life thinking that, man, I've made it. I'm in. That was the goal, to get in. The king just wanted me to come into his palace. Listen, church, that's not the goal. 
And we've said this before, but it needs to be stated over and over and over again in our day. He is the goal. And if we have been truly, and I mean truly, placed our faith in Jesus, if we trusted in him and understood the privilege that we have, then the scripture tells us that we will bear fruit. And it won't just be any fruit, but it's going to be a very desirable fruit, real fruit, that will just begin to be present. Fruit that, we, that will be found in us because we are walking in the light. Fruit that, we, that, that can be found there. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. It says, for the fruit of light is found in what? It's found in all that is good and right and true. If you are trying to walk in what is good in his eyes, fruit will be found. If you're trying to walk in what is right in his eyes, fruit will be found. If you're trying to walk in what is true, as the standard of truth is who he is, then fruit will be found. And what good and what right and what truth is ultimately anchored in, is Jesus. All of that stuff is ultimately found in Jesus. He's literally the embodiment of all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. And so we are called to put him on, to walk in him. And as we walk in him, then these things will begin to come out of us. We'll see it, but it'll be his fruit, not ours, because we've put him on. This is exactly what Galatians chapter 5 says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, now, where does that fruit come from? It comes from the Spirit. All right. So I told you I'd explain the Tupperware because I've talked a lot, and I want to get really practical in this. I want you to imagine yourself as this beautiful little orange bowl. All right? Here you are. In and of yourself, by yourself, you have no righteousness for yourself. You've got no fruit in you. And if you did have fruit in you, and if I could illustrate that, then the fruit that would be in you would be rotten, filthy fruit. It might look good on the outside, but in the long term, like it's not good fruit to eat. And this is who we all are. And so if you walk up to the palace, even after the invitation, and you try to get in to the palace, into the king's presence with Yourself is the only thing that is seen. How far does that go? You can't get in. And so what this text and what this parable is telling us is that we are then clothed by Jesus. And we are now in Jesus. That's really loud. So here's my point. Now as you try to come into the palace and as you walk around in the palace, who do you see? Do you see yourself? Do you see Jesus? See, this is what's happening. When the king comes out and he sees the guests at the wedding feast, and he's looking around, he sees people who are clothed in the wedding garments, in a righteousness that's not their own. He sees Jesus, except for one guy. One guy was offered this wonderful privilege to be found in Jesus, and he said, no, I'm okay. And so he's walking around looking like this in his own righteousness, in his own ideas, in his own life, thinking, man, like, I've got salvation, like, I'm good to go, like, I don't need anything. But here's what's amazing about what Jesus is telling us, is not only are we in Christ if we've accepted Jesus, and we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus, but you know what else he says, and we already talked about it in Galatians? He says that now, not only are you in Jesus, but I'm going to put something in you. 
Who does he put in us? The Spirit of God. And what does the Spirit of God have? Fruit. This is a little fruit from my daughter's kitchen. This is supposed to be an apple, if you can't tell. I've got a watermelon and a banana and a few other things in here. But here's what's happening. We are in Christ, and then we have the Spirit that goes in us. We are now hemmed in. Isn't that amazing? And who holds our fruit? Who holds the fruit in which we are called to have bear in us? Is it your fruit? Is it my fruit? Is it in you? Is it in me? No, no. It's in the Spirit. It's His fruit. And so now, as things start to come out of us, as we tip it over, then the fruit that comes out isn't our fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit. Now, you can still see a little bit of us. But this is, the, this is what salvation is intended to be. And so when Jesus is talking about being clothed in righteousness, but then walking in righteousness, it's not only putting on Jesus in the righteousness, but the expectation that now the Spirit of God is in you, and He's bearing fruit from you and through you and in your life and in my life. This is what this parable is telling us about. And what it's reminding us is that, man, something has to happen in us. And it's the work of the Spirit of God in us. And you can't just say, oh, yeah, like I believe and I'm glad I'm in and I got salvation and all that's good. No, no. We as the people of God necessarily have to continue to walk in Him and walk in step with the Spirit which is in us. Can someone who has not been clothed with righteousness of Christ and made new by Him bear fruit. No. Because we don't have any in us. They can appear to try, maybe for a season, but real and lasting fruit is only going to come from a changed tree. So we see that righteousness is given to us, it leads to fruit, and it's a good fruit, it's a desirable fruit, because it's the Spirit's fruit, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But the tree for us to start to see this bear through us has to be transformed. It has to be changed from the inside out. Look what Matthew, or what Jesus says in Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. See, the work of Jesus gives us righteousness. He gives us righteousness, right? Like, can't see us. It's his righteousness. But we need to also then walk in that righteousness and then walk by the spirit in which he's given to us so that that fruit can bear in us. And as we're hemmed in, he begins to transform our lives from the inside out. This transformation can only happen as you and I actually seek to walk in what has already been given to us. It's not your righteousness, it's his it's not your fruit. It's his. It's a desirable fruit because it's his fruit. The man in this parable didn't keep walking and pursuing and growing more deeply into his, the spiritual reality. For whatever reason, and Jesus doesn't tell us, he chose not to walk in the garment. And it is important for us to, to, to make sure we understand that the fruit in which we are called to, to bear is not a fruit we generate in our ourselves. It is a fruit that is given to us. 
Strange text in Romans, and I had never caught it before until I was studying this text. But look at Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. So that's this process, right? Like I was trying to live in my own, and I was trying to live on my own ways and my own life and my own understanding and my own wisdom, but now I have been set free from this, and I'm now in Christ. I've been saved in Christ, right? I've been saved in that. What's he going to say? The fruit that you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. Isn't that a strange phrase, the fruit that you get? I thought we were supposed to bear fruit. Well, you get fruit. You get the Spirit's fruit. Remember, it's in, his, it's in this bowl. Well, that's a bad analogy, maybe, but like, I get it because it's in me. It didn't come from me, but it's His. We get the fruit. And the more that we walk in Him and walk by the Spirit, the more we actually will find joy and peace and patience and kindness, and even more so, the more we will actually grow in a deeper knowledge for him. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says this, you have your fruit. You've got it. This is true of every Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not bear fruit. You cannot be a Christian without bearing fruit. That'd be like saying you can be a Christian that doesn't have the Spirit inside of you. If the Spirit is inside of you, He brings fruit with Him. If you go back to our parable, people who truly trust in Jesus, people who have truly placed their faith in Jesus, are going to walk in the righteousness that He has given to us. This is not an option. They are going to grow into an ever-deepening knowledge of His presence and glory in them, living through them, it's like seeing him through the fruit that is being born through you. Like some people, they say, well, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I don't see Jesus, and I don't experience Jesus. You know what's amazing? That um, I'll just take this little banana, and this represents some aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. That it, What happens for the, 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 the person who is a follower of Jesus, and maybe you've had this kind of a moment, but you get pressed into a circumstance. And, and let's say patience is represented by this banana. This banana is the patience of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit in me. And I get pressed into a moment, and I see myself acting in patience in a way that I never would have before. Anybody ever had an experience like that where you're just like, whoa, what just happened? Like my entire history would have like ripped that person apart or blown up at that person or become impatient with that person. Like what just came out of me? That wasn't Darren. That was something else. You know, it's amazing. It's almost like an out-of-body experience where I get to see the Spirit of God now working through me as he's bearing fruit that didn't come from me. Have you ever had that moment? That experience where you're like, man, how did God just do that? Like, that's not who I am. That's not the kind of person I am. Like, I'm the impatient guy. I'm the not kind guy. I'm the not gentle guy. Like, that's amazing. And so many people would say, like, I don't experience God, I don't experience God. And you have to ask the question, if you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, at least have to pose the question, maybe it's because God's not there. And I know that's a hard question to ask, but brothers and sisters, that is exactly what Jesus is trying to press us towards. It's exactly what he's trying to help us to see. The man without the wedding garment, he wasn't thrown out of the king's palace because he didn't do enough. 
because he didn't study the Bible enough or because he didn't go to the church. He was thrown out because he never put on Jesus in the first place. He didn't lose himself in Jesus. He didn't let himself get buried by the Spirit, right? Like, right? like being hemmed in by the Spirit. Like he didn't walk in that. He was invited, he was given the garment, but he refused to put it on, or he never realized that he needed it in the first place. This represents anybody who takes what Jesus is offering only to get salvation, only to ensure that they don't go to hell, only acknowledging that they need the garment, but never putting the garment on. The point of this parable is to force us to really ask, are you Are we, am I, walking in the righteousness that God has given to us through Jesus? And does that matter? We are to test ourselves. So are you? Is the Spirit bearing witness in your life with fruit? Are you experiencing the Almighty God dwelling in you and deepening your love of Him and deepening your love of His laws, deepening your love of His ways? Are you growing more and more in your trust of Him as He leads you and as He lives through you? If you're not, be assured. And if you're not willing to test yourself, be assured you will be tested by Him. And this is why it matters Brothers and sisters, you and I cannot fool him. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. So he's going to search every single one of us. And he's going to test the mind of every single one of us. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds, Brothers and sisters, if he does that for me when I'm in this state, what do I deserve? That's not rhetorical. I deserve hell. Thank you. Because I, I, I'm going to fail this test in Jeremiah. We all will. That's the point of this parable. Like You're going to fail the test of Jeremiah in and of yourself. And so the beauty of what Jesus is telling us is this. Not only do I deal with all your bad stuff, and I clothe you with my righteousness. But I'm also going to give you the deeds in which you're now going to be tested by. You know what my hope is that I get to pass this test? Do you think it's because I'm good enough now in Jesus? No. Do you think it's because in Jesus I think that now I can do enough good deeds to make him happy? Absolutely not. You know what it is? I know that when the test comes to look at the deeds that are coming out of me, the deeds that are there are his deeds, they're not mine. It's his fruit, it's not mine. So guess what? If he's doing a work in me, I don't get to boast because it's not my work. It's not my test. Look at over here, John Roselle, one of our missionaries that, that serves with us here or is a partner with us in the church. And as the Lord works in John and his family and, and, and as he's doing those things, John doesn't get to boast in any of that work. He doesn't get to boast in anybody coming to faith through his ministry. That's God's work in John. That's fruit he's bearing in John. And so I get to be, 
I, I get to come to the Lord in confidence on this day when he will search and test my mind and give every man according, he's going to give me according to my deeds and my ways, according to the fruit of my deeds, which are his now. That's beautiful hope for us. I don't have any fruit to give. It's all his fruit. See, for the man at the feast without the wedding garment, this is a visual picture of what Jesus makes so clear in Matthew chapter 7. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The man at the feast was recognized by his lack of fruit. He was recognized because he wasn't walking in the righteousness that had been given to him. Notice very carefully that Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 7 that they will be made by their fruits. They will be recognized by their fruits. Will you be recognized by your fruit? This is the press for us right now. I'm not asking you if you have an intellectual knowledge about Jesus. That's not what this parable is pressing us towards. I'm asking you the question that if you are in his house or whatnot, does he see this? Or does he see you buried in this? That's the question. The warning of Jesus is not meant to make us fearful or discourage us. But it is a very real warning for us to examine our hearts and ask the real question, is the Spirit bearing witness to a work that He is doing in you? Does this mean you're perfect? No. None of us are perfect. What I love about this week, when we're going to do communion here in just a few moments, is this week I could tell you that I have had lustful thoughts, I have acted in pride. I have acted in greed. I have not done things God has called me to do. Guess what? None of it matters because he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so I can come full confidence and I can confess those things to the Lord and know that I'm forgiven for those things because I am in Jesus. Are you? This is the hope we can have as Christians, brothers and sisters. We need to be reminded of. And I know we're not going to be perfect. None of us are perfect. But when you look at your life, are you bearing fruit that only the Spirit can generate? Jesus wants us to truly look and truly test and truly examine because he knows the end for all of those who are outside of his house for all of those who are outside of the king's household, they are, going to be play, they are going to be thrown in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're going to be thrown into a place of darkness. The call to come to Jesus and be given the red wedding garment has been given to every single one of us. Will we come in and will we put it on? Will we trust it? Will we walk in it day in and day out? Every moment. If you're here and you hear this and you fear that you are not bearing enough fruit or you don't see the Spirit's work, if you fear you're not a tree that has been changed or made new, there is only one answer. There's only one thing you can do. Run to Jesus. He won't turn you away. Don't come and ask me if I can judge that fruit. 
You go to Jesus. The answer is not to try and bear more fruit. The answer is not to try to say, well, I'll just make my own fruit. That's not going to happen. John 15 is clear. You can't bear it on your own, no matter how much you want to, and no matter how much you think you know what the actions are necessary to do that. You cannot bear it unless you are abiding in Jesus, unless you are abiding in his love. The answer is what we talked about on Father's Day several weeks ago, to draw near to him, and he will draw near to us. So are you seeing God do a supernatural transformation in your life? Do you experience and see him more today in and through you than you did six months ago? Sometimes we need to look in seasons, not just days, right? So if I look in days, there's days I'm like, oh, wow, there was very little of the fruit of the Spirit yesterday. But I can see the trajectory of God's work in my heart. And I can see the trajectory of God's work in my life. Can you? If you question this, don't try to be more religious. Try to get closer to him. Try to humble yourself and acknowledge that you cannot walk in your own wisdom, in your own ways, bearing your own fruit, in your own direction, and in your own goodness. Brothers and sisters, that won't get you into the wedding feast. But his garment will. Not only will a garment let you get in, but his garment will then allow you to be filled with the Spirit who will give you the deeds and the fruit necessary to withstand the day of judgment. And that is a glorious hope we have in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. As I pray, after, after I pray, uh, Ryan's going to come out and lead us in one last worship song before we turn to a time of communion. And I want to just ask you, as we sing and as I pray, I ask you to just test yourself. This is between you and God. Just test yourself. Ask him. Just really examine where your heart is. Examine where your life is. Is there fruit of the Spirit? I'm not asking you how much you know. I'm not asking how many Bible verses you know. I'm not asking if you can tell me about Hezekiah and all the different things in the Old Testament. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you? Examine yourself and respond accordingly. If it's not, hope is not lost, brothers and sisters. Confess it and come to Jesus. And if it is, thank him for that fruit because it's not yours and ask him to give you more. Because in more of the fruit, you will find more of him. And so I ask you to respond this morning. And during our time of song, we're going to have prayer counselors and elders and pastors up here at the front to just talk with you, to pray with you. But I just want to pray and ask that you would just look into your own heart. And if you're somebody in this space who's never even tried to come to the presence of the king and you're outside of that and you don't even think you need it and you're just going about your business and your day-to-day life, like, listen... Hear the warning. You will find yourself in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I know that's not popular, but it's true. And Jesus gives us this warning so you won't find yourself there because he wants you to be in his house. So this is an opportunity for you to place your faith and your trust in him to cover you, to hem you in. What a beautiful hope that is. Ryan's going to come out and lead us, but I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for this text. It's a hard parable in a lot of different ways. Like it can just make us feel like, oh man, like there's so much to this. But in reality, there's so much dying to ourselves in this. 
We have to lay our ability down, our goodness down, our righteousness down, our ways down, our business down, our, our work down, and we have to come to you and let you clothe us. And let you fill us with your spirit that you might bear fruit through us. And I, I just want to pray this morning, like, I think all of us at some level can come and say, man, I can confess that I'm not bearing the fruit that I want to bear. I don't know you the way that I want to know you because I've been living according to the flesh. I've been giving myself to the things of this world. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to confess. I pray, the Lord, you would help us to see those things and that you'd help us to repent of those things. You might fill us with your spirit and work in us and move in us. That we might bear fruit for your glory and for your kingdom. Father, I want to pray for those that are in this space that may question their salvation. I ask that you would give them boldness this morning to come up and talk with somebody so they don't have to leave this day without assurance that they are in Christ. They are in Jesus. And they've put their trust solely in him. Lord, I pray you would help them to be bold enough to come. Put their trust in you this morning. So, Father, Father, I pray that you would test us. I pray that you would examine us. I pray that you would help us to see. Lord, and I pray that everyone in this space would walk out of this place clothed in the garments of Christ's righteousness and filled with your spirit that we might go out into this world and bear the fruit you've called us to. So, Father, as we sing, work in our lives, work in our hearts. By your Spirit, do this work in us. And I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus.